Hello, and welcome to Life on Maine, a daily podcast of Life on Maine in Charlestown, New Hampshire, where we discuss living life on the main purpose as designed by God. I am Pastor Tim Golden, and on these podcasts, we focus on growing in relationship with God, maturing in the faith through His Word, stewarding our relationships with one another, as well as learning to make disciples as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each day highlights one of these facets of spiritual character, growth, and stewardship, so be sure to come back each day to grow a strong and healthy walk with the Lord. Now, let's see what the Holy Spirit wants to show us today. Well, we thank you again for being with us today and for taking time away from this Super Bowl Sunday, from maybe preparing your snacks for later uh, so that you can take your time to give God the attention and the glory he deserves. As you know, we have been away from our original series on Credible Christianity for quite some time, but we are going back there starting today. We took some time off for the Christmas season as we focused on the birth of Christ and what that all means. And then, of course, through the month of January, talking about the vision that God has for life on Maine for the next year. And if you haven't had a chance, if you are part of Life on Main, you have not had a chance to be at each of those services or to hear each of those messages, we encourage you to go to facebook.com slash lifeonmain and you'll be able to find the services there. You can also find them on our YouTube channel if you simply type in the short code of bit.ly slash lifeonmain with L. O-M, each capitalized, and that will take you right to our channel, and you can see all of the messages in a playlist entitled Vision 2021. So please, we encourage you to watch those, because it does apply to each and every single one of us. But today, as I said, we want to get back into this series, where God had taken us uh, up through the end of last year, through the whole fall, into the winter, And we want to go there again, as there's so many truths that I feel God has for us. And not just for those of us here at Life on Main, but for the church at large. The church in Corinth that Paul was writing to loved the Lord. Their their hearts were for Jesus. Unfortunately, their lives weren't all that focused on Christ. They had accepted what he had done on the cross, and they were heirs of the kingdom. They, they were our brothers and sisters in Christ. But the way that they lived their lives still looked very much like the world. They were operating in the gifts of the Spirit. There were all kinds of signs and wonders being done through them. However, when it came to the basics of Christian character, of looking like Jesus, they fell quite a distance short of that. And we're going to be finishing up 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. And we're going to be picking up right at verse 23 and going through the end of the chapters, about 11 verses. Paul had this to say to them. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, 
eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. But for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience, I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. The truths that you have for us, the life-giving manna that comes from your word that Lord will build us into the people you've called us so that there would be a good testimony not only through our words but also through the lives we live and we pray these things in Jesus holy in his mighty name amen so there's a lot of things that are happening here in this passage basically three main areas first of all he offers a very um, general statement about where he's going to be going here. He, he offers some of the arguments that the people are presenting, and then he answers them as far as how they should live. But it's a pretty vague statement. He then takes the whole middle section of this passage to talk about some very specific things that the church in Corinth was needing to address that dealt with the first couple of verses. And then at the end, he basically brings them back to not just the specifics, he brings them back to a principle that will guide them beyond those specifics into every area of their lives so that they can then, you know, not just get these issues straightened out, but maybe avoid some of the other issues that could arise later on. So let's look at that first thing. What were the arguments that were happening within the church, and what did Paul have to say about it? Well, Luke, again, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, the arguments they were offering is, I have the right to do anything. If I am in Christ, and he has given me liberty, I am now set free to do things. I can do some things that are not necessarily beneficial for me or beneficial for others and I can do some things that are actually destructive and not constructive and this could be applied in a number of different areas one area could be in whether or not they engaged in certain sinful behaviors well if Jesus has forgiven me and his blood covers me of my sin then those are all washed away so I can do whatever I want and there were some that felt that way you know, it, it's okay if I don't forgive my brother because, you know, Jesus' blood takes care of my own forgiveness. But I think there's even a more subtle, uh, subtle um, way in which this was lived out. Maybe it had to deal with the way that they witnessed to people. You know, as, as believers, we have the rights to be able to say things. In our country, we have certain rights. If In our Constitution, we have this thing called freedom of speech. And technically, that freedom of speech gives us freedom to do what? Say whatever we want. 
To have that freedom of not worrying whether the authorities are going to be knocking on my door because I said this or I said that. We have freedom to speak. We have the freedom to be able to not share the same opinions as the government. We have the freedom to not share the same opinions as our community or as our neighbor. But unfortunately, if you look at the current day media, they've taken that freedom and they've abused it in many ways. They may have the freedom of speech, but we still have a responsibility with that freedom. See, with liberty does come responsibility, and we need to make sure we exercise it properly. And with that freedom of speech, how are we using it? Are we using it to edify? Are we using it to be constructive? Or are we using it to tear down? Are we using it to cause division, to cause upheaval? The early church was making the argument, I have the right to do anything. But then Paul was real quick to say, yeah, but not everything's beneficial. And not everything is constructive. Not everything is going to bear forth fruit. There have been a lot of people over the years that when it comes to sharing the gospel, and even though they have a God-given right to share with people about heaven and about hell and about sin, unfortunately take it to beat people up. And I'm not saying that we need to water down the gospel. People need to understand there's a real hell where people who do not follow Christ are going to go. But I've seen people in the church as a whole, you know, over the course of many years, many different um, denominations, where the church's attitude is more coming across in an attitude of judgment, of you are going to hell and beating people over the head with it. And that doesn't draw anyone into the kingdom. It's communicating to people that there is a heaven and there is a hell, and hell is a place where people who do not follow Christ go. But the hard attitude underneath it is this, but I love you too much to let you go there. And it's almost more of a begging and a pleading with people. Please choose Jesus, rather than trying to beat people into submission. And too many times that's what the church has done. And, we, and that was not beneficial. And it's not beneficial today. Speak the truth. Speak the whole truth. We, we don't hear enough, and I was on a um, Bible study group on Friday, and this was one of the main points that it came out during that group, that, you know, that we do not hear enough about heaven and about hell and about sin in the churches anymore. We need to hear more. But let us make sure we are bringing it forth with the proper heart, the heart of Christ, the heart of servanthood, a heart of love, as we are sharing that information. But then Paul then says, okay, so here's your arguments, but you need to understand that what you're doing is not helpful. And then he gives them a, a solution, a blanket solution. And the blanket solution is this in verse 24. He says, no one, and that means no one. He's not just speaking to pastors here. He's not just speaking to church leaders. He's speaking to every single person that is naming the name of Christ that is in the city of Corinth. He said, no one, not a single one of you should seek your own good, but the good of others. And that is a, an excellent way to live your life. Live for others rather than yourself. But what does that mean? What does that look like in the current day vernacular? What does that look like in the COVID-19 culture? What does that look like in the 21st century versus the 1st century? 
there are some very specific things he then goes on to address. He says, you need to look after the good of others. No, don't be concerned about just making your point. See, because with the argument that the church was using, they were saying, I. The first word is I. It was about self. It was about where they were. It was about their comfort. It was about what might make them feel good. It's about what might help them prosper. It was not about other people. He's saying you need to look after the good of others. I often wonder whatever happened to WWJD. You might remember this back, I think it was in the 90s, that there were bracelets, there were bumper stickers all over the place. Everywhere you turned, you saw those initials WWJD. Simply stood for what would Jesus do? People in the church, those outside the church, gravitated to this. And it was a great thing, and I'm not knocking it, because I think it raised some awareness in the minds of some people. Unfortunately, a lot of people that put those bumper stickers on the car really didn't care about what would Jesus do. It was just the fad. It, it, it was something that was just happening. But there were those who took it seriously. But, but it seemed to fade. After about three years, all of a sudden, just as quick as it became popular, all of a sudden you stopped hearing about it. What would Jesus do? And ultimately, that's what Paul was saying to the church here, is live your life the way that Jesus would. And how would Jesus live? He would live for the good of others. He came to serve, not to be served, Scripture tells us. But Paul then goes on to address some very specific issues that were present in the church that day, uh, in that day. He mentions, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience for the earth is the Lord and everything in it. And then talks about, you know, if an unbeliever invites you in, go in, eat with them. See, Corinth was a real big um, commercial hub area. There were people of all nationalities that were there. And there were Greeks, and there were Jews, and there were Gentiles. And, and so you had the Jews and the Gentiles here worshiping together. And, of course, the Jews, there are certain things you don't eat. The Gentiles weren't bound so much by that. And what Paul is saying here, and we're not going to get into the depths necessarily of what he was specifically mentioning in the church. I think what he was doing here is addressing some very key issues that were present for them. But let me tell you right now, here's the gist of it. The gist is this, the, the, the basic principle is this, that there are things, there are traditions that I've been brought up with, and I now treat them like religion. And I expect everybody else to follow suit with me. On the other hand, there's this other attitude that there's this sense that of a peer pressure from within the church. That you, don't, that you only associate with these types of people. You do not associate with this type. And if you are associating with this type or even in this environment, that somehow you are less than Christian. And I'm not saying and I'm not condoning necessarily going to bars, but you know what? I believe there are some Christians God's called to go into the bars. Because you know, that's, there's a number of people that don't know Christ that are there. There's a lot of hurting people there. And those people should go. If that's got the mission field that God's given them, that's where they need to minister. But there's been the attitude in the church many times, no, you shouldn't do that. 
that's riffraff. You know, you, you, you do that, you know, and, and you're going to become just like them. And you got to be careful because that could happen. But you know what? If God has called you there, you still go. You still do what he's led you to do. And so what he's addressing here is an attitude of, of comfort. Comfort in one's own thinking because of your own traditions, because of the way that we were brought up. It's also comfort in the way that the church has always done things, that we need to keep doing things this way. And if we color outside those lines, that somehow we are being less than what God desires us to be. And what Paul is saying here is the, the, the benchmark should not be our tradition and the benchmark shouldn't be whether we think these people are worthy or not worthy or the environment is dangerous or not dangerous. He said this, he said, what you've got to look at is you've got to look beyond your own interests. You've got to look beyond what you think that you can do for yourself and look at what is beneficial. Look at what is constructive and what is constructive for the Christian? Simply this, to do the will of the Father. To not do the will of the Father and still do good things is to do destructive things. Because if you're not doing the will that God's called you to do, then in essence, you're leaving that, you're abandoning that very thing that God wants you to be fruitful in. And thereby, destruction can result in the life of another. Understand what it is God's calling you to and move in that. Whether it seems beneficial for you or not, whether it seems like it's your right or not, what is God calling you to? Jump down with me. Because I, I want us to jump all the way down to verse 31. And the reason I'm not dealing with the middle area is because verse 31 deals with all the specifics he hits. See, what we need to do, we need to let God deal with our specifics. God says that we need to look after the interests of others. We need to do what is good for others. What is that? It's going to be different for you. It's going to be different for me. What he's calling you to, what he's calling me to, are going to look a little bit different. But here's what he had to say. This is how, what the criteria that he said, whatever it is, whatever he's beginning to show you about your own specifics, they've got to fit into this for each and every one of us. Verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. So in the verses before this, he was talking all about eating and drinking, you know, going into an unbeliever's home and eating with them. What if you're a Jew and they put pork down in front of you? Should I eat it? Should I not eat it? These were arguments that were in the church. And because that they were brought up in the Old Testament uh, law, saying that you couldn't do those things. And now... There was some conflict as far as whether those things still remained or not. And so he addressed some very key issues regarding eating and drinking there. But he makes this very important point. That even though now I've just talked to you about some of these issues that you're wrestling with in your culture in, in this specific era. I want you to understand this. That really it's not about the eating and drinking. But it applies to the eating and drinking. But it applies to much more than just the eating and the drinking. So whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever you do. So take what I'm about to say, he said, because this applies to every action, every behavior that we engage in as believers, whether it's who we eat with, where we eat, where we're ministering, how we're ministering, to whom we're ministering. All of that is 
almost insubstantial. Because the important thing is this, that no matter what it is, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. We need to live our lives in doing good for others. And as we do good for others, that will bring glory to God. How do we do that? We lead them in the paths of salvation. We, we share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we said, we let them know that there's a heaven, that there's a hell, that there's something called sin that separates us from that. And that God wants that relationship restored, but we've got to be willing to let go of those things and allow him to come and fill our lives. We have to accept what he did on the cross. We need to get that message out. We need to look after the safety of others. I'm not just talking their spiritual safety, I'm talking their physical safety. If somebody's engaged in a behavior that you see is, is damaging them or damaging their relationships, are we willing to come alongside and say, hey, what can I do to help you here? How, how, you know, I see you going down a destructive path for yourself or for your relationships. Can, can I walk with you? Can, can, can we navigate this path together and see how we might be able to bring God's fullness into this? Are we willing to look after the safety of others? Are we willing to sacrifice for others? Because if we are going to do good for others to see God's glory made known, it's going to require sacrifice. Don't believe me? Read Philippians chapters 2, uh, verses 3 and 4. That makes it very clear. And in that, Paul is concerned enough about others to be willing to freely give up his right for the edification the building up of others. He gives up his rights so that others can be edified. Others can be built up. Let me ask you this. Where can you give up your rights for the sake of others? Where can you make some sacrifices to see others come into the fullness that God has for them? See, this is true liberty. It's the liberty to be able to understand that you have rights, but then to be willing to let those rights go for the sake of God's will. True liberty is not found in choosing to do something, but many times is found in actually restraining yourself and restraining your desires and restraining your lusts, knowing you have the freedom to act in those things, but choosing not to because of what it could ultimately do. That is freedom. Paul goes on to say in verse 32, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Identifying three groups of people, Jews, right? Those that from the Old Testament days were known as the children of God. Greeks, referring to all of people who did not know or follow the path of God, and of course the Church of God, which would be the New Testament Church. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. We've got to be very, very careful not just to read a portion of that. Because if all we do is read the first part of verse 33, we can get a very bad theology and doctrine. He says, even as I try to please everyone in every way. 
Now, Paul is not speaking of grabbing the favor of men so that they think good of him. He is not concerned about people's perceptions. He is not overly concerned with his reputation. What does he mean by I try to please everyone in every way? I try to bring some sense of fulfillment to them. I, I, I try to help them achieve God-given potential because that is how they will ultimately be pleased. I seek to find favor with them. How do I do that? By serving them in whatever way I can. He said, as he goes on there in verse 33, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many. So understand, he's not forsaking himself to the point that he is um, actually abusive to himself. He says there, I am seeking my own good. Well, hold on, that doesn't sound very spiritual. But let me, put, let me put it to you this way. God has called us to be a lighthouse in the lives of people who are about to see their lives dashed on the rocks and find themselves sinking in an ocean of despair. We as Christians are lighthouses to those people. But understand this very important truth, very simple truth, but very important. A lighthouse has absolutely no value whatsoever if the light bulb in that lighthouse burns out. If that lighthouse is not maintained, it will cease to be able to be a beacon to those that are at sea. Its purpose is to serve others. Its purpose is to exist simply to keep others from losing their lives. But the lighthouse still must be maintained. So he's seeking his own good. Why? So that he is then able to seek the good of many. So it's not for selfish reasons that he looks after himself, but actually it's part of his service to other people. And why is he looking after the good for many? Because he, he said that way back at the beginning of this passage, did he not? In verse 34, no one should seek their own good but the good of others. And here again, he's repeating, for I am not seeking my own good but the good of many. And in other words, I'm telling you to do something that I myself am already doing. You know, and in fact, the very next verse at the beginning of the next chapter should probably be at the end of this one, where he says, so follow me as I follow Christ. As I'm living out this example of who Jesus is, follow that. And what is that example? To be a servant to all. But it's not for the purpose of simply serving people. It's not for the purpose of simply meeting them right where they are at. But it's why. The end of that verse. So that they may be saved. He sought to meet their needs. He sought to find favor with them. He wasn't, he wasn't hypocritical. He wasn't trying to be two-faced. He was not trying to be a man pleaser. But he did understand that if I am going to show the love of Christ, that was his ultimate motivation. I need to show the love of Christ so that they can be saved. So how am I going to be able to show that to them by taking a look at where they are right now? Where do they find themselves? How can I come alongside? See, it's not about what I can do, what I can't do. It's not about me at all. It's all about the other people. Charles Ryrie, 
He's a famous teacher from Dallas Seminary, had this to say. He said, God's glory is his reputation. To live for God's glory means to live so that God's reputation is enhanced, which means to heighten it in quality and quantity and not diminish it in any way. Why do I say that? Because in the process of trying to get people saved, it's not an everything goes. It's got to be about bringing God glory. This brings us back up there again, once again, to verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for what? The glory of God. Not for the sake of seeing people get saved. It's all for God's glory. So see the pattern here. Paul lived his life not for himself. He lived his life to serve others. But why did he serve others? So that they would be saved. And why do you want to see them saved? To bring God glory. Not to get a notch in his belt. Not to have people think, wow, look at what a great apostle he is. Look at what a great evangelist he is. See how many people he has brought into the kingdom. No, his drive ultimately was to bring glory to God. Now, to understand God's glory, it, we, we've got to take a look a little bit at two specific aspects of this. One is his intrinsic glory, and the second is his ascribed glory. What do I mean by this? Well, intrinsic glory is what you're probably thinking. Think of those first two letters of that, in. It comes from an old French word, this word intrinsic, that means inner or inward. God's inner glory, his intrinsic glory, is that part of him which we cannot add to or take away. It is in his character. It is the glory of who he is. We do not have any input into that. God's glory is in his character. But there's also something known as ascribed glory, which simply means to assign a quality to. And this is glory that we can do, because we talk about how we can bring glory to God. But we also know that God's glory filled the temple, right? That was talking of his intrinsic glory. But when we bring glory, this is the ascribing glory. Now, some would say that the unredeemed cannot give honor to God, and nor do they seek to. And the truth is they do not seek to. And they will try to do what they can not to bring any glory to God because they want to glory in themselves. However, this does not stop glory from being ascribed to God. Think of Pharaoh, for instance. Exodus chapter 14, verse 17. God said this, I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. Does that mean Pharaoh was going to get saved? No. Does it mean that somehow another revival was going to come and hit the whole army? No, not at all. But God said this, I will be honored. Glory will be ascribed to me, we could say. Through Pharaoh and his army. How? Through his chariots and his horsemen. What was this referring to? This was referring to the drowning of the army in the Red Sea. When, when God parted the water through Moses, the Israelites marched across got to the other side, and when they got to the other side, the Pharaoh and his army followed after, and God allowed the Red Sea to cave in on them, and they were all washed away and killed. 
The world does not seek to give God glory, but they can, however painful, be used by God to bring him glory. God told Pharaoh as much. Listen to the living words. The, the, the living Lord's words to Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. Indeed, for this cause I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power, in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. God said, I, no matter how wicked you are, no matter how destructive you are, I, the God of all creation, am choosing to allow you to stay in this place of power. In fact, I've allowed you to even be in this place of power. But I have every right to take you out for the way you've been treating my children. But why do I let you remain? In order to show you my power. And why? Why show him his power? So that his name could be proclaimed through all the earth. How is it being proclaimed through all the earth? Through the living word of God. Through the scriptures as we read them even today. So what does glory mean? We've talked about the intrinsic, we've talked about the ascribed glory, but what exactly is it? It simply means something that's worthy of praise or someone that's worthy of praise and exaltation because of some aspect of their character. They're worthy of praise and exaltation, brilliance, beauty, renown. Psalm chapter 29 verses 1 and 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. See, we cannot add to God's glory any more than we can add to his strength. But we can recognize and praise the glory he already has. So when we ascribe glory to him, we're ascribing the glory that is his based on his intrinsic glory. And this is how we need to live our lives. We need to be living our lives in a way that is raising the rank of our God. Not that we somehow give him more, we are simply acknowledging that which he already has and making that known to those around us. So what Paul was saying that he was doing in the central message is, my number one goal is to lift God's name up. To, not that I'm going to add anything to God, not that I'm going to make God anything more than he already is, but I'm going to make sure the world knows. And the way I'm going to do this is by helping them understand that he can save them. And by seeing people get saved, and the way I'm going to do that is by serving them. And how I'm going to serve them is by looking after their needs, not just my own. And everything that I do, I am going to do it in a means to minister to those around me. Because in so doing, I am ultimately giving glory to the God on high. So the ultimate question for us then I guess would be this. How are we bringing God glory? What are we doing to direct our ascribed glory of his intrinsic glory back to him? Or are we just seeking after ourselves? Let us seek to acknowledge him in everything. Let us seek to give him honor in everything and people will see his glory. In closing, I just want to share a little bio, if you will about a specific individual who lived many years ago. You may have heard of him. His name was Johann Sebastian Bach. He had this to say. He said, all music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment.
Where this is not remembered, there's no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. Notice how he did not mention classical music. He said all music. Any style of music that's out there, it should have no other end or aim than the glory of God and the refreshing of a soul. Was, were these just words? Was this just a nice little phrase he had to say? Absolutely not. In fact, if you were to look at his works, you'll notice that he headed his compositions like this. He headed his compositions J.J. J.J. stood for Yehus Huva. J-E-S-U-S J-U-V-A which means Jesus help me. He started every composition with making sure people understood that before I even sit down at this piece of blank paper, my first call is this, Jesus help me. Jesus use me, flow through me, do what needs to happen. This is not about my ability, it's about you working through me what's gonna happen on this paper. He started it that way, but he also ended them a specific way. He ended them with S-D-G, soli de gratia, which means to God alone, the praise. At the very beginning, before he did anything, the very first thing that he did is call out to God for help. Jesus, help me. Help me to be able to glorify you somehow. And when all was said and done, when the last stroke of pen happened, when his ministry was fulfilled, the ending phrase was to God and God alone be the praise. Don't give it to me. However beautiful you might think this piece is, and a lot of his pieces were extremely beautiful and are world renowned, but he made sure everyone knew it was only because of God that it could even happen. Jesus help me. Jesus thank you, right? Do we live our lives that way? Do we live our lives that in everything that we do, first saying, Jesus, help me. When you get out of bed first thing in the morning is your first cry, Jesus, help me to reflect you today. And when the day ends, are you able to cry out to God alone be praised because of the, the song that my life lifted up to him today, my worship that was lifted up to him through my life. Live your life to the glory of God, serve others but ultimately in serving others, we are serving him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you today. We thank you that you are God, that we have this incredible privilege to be able to serve you, to love you. And not that we loved you first, but God, you first loved us and laid your life down for us. Thank you for that. And Lord God, as we live this day and as we live each and every day from this God, would that be our prayer to be, do nothing but bring you glory Help us to not put ourselves first, but always put you first. And then by putting you first, be willing to serve others along the way in every way that we possibly can so that you again can receive all glory for what happens. Give us boldness to share your word when we are to share. Give us courage to live our lives the way you call us to live it. And in all of it, Lord, may you be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today, and as you go throughout the week, serve him with everything you've got. Give him your love. 
We want to thank you for tuning into today's broadcast. We pray that it was beneficial for you. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for another episode of Life on Main. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website at lifeonmain.org. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lifeonmain, where you can learn about upcoming events and find links to videos of these broadcasts and sermons. You can also view our sermons on our YouTube channel at bit.ly slash lifeonmain, with each of those words capitalized. Thanks for listening to Life on Main, and may God bless you.